Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Vredestein Pinza AT. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. What is up, Straight Fire fam? It's me, Jason McIntyre. This is Straight Fire for Thursday, May 19th. We got a crappy NBA game last night. Warriors totally drubbed the Mavericks. Very similar, actually, to Heat Celtics in that it was close-ish for a half. And then in the third quarter, the home team... The higher seed pulled away in easy fashion. But the good news is we got a great guest today. And I've been trying to track this guy down for a little for a minute. He was at ESPN. He was at The Athletic. He wrote a book on the Warriors. His name, his name is Ethan Strauss. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Again, we like to talk about guys who, you know, kind of aren't all out there. Every, everybody knows some of our guests. But I like to shine a light on some guys who I think are doing good work. And this guy's a damn good writer. And he's, he's taken his act to Substack, where you have to subscribe, and he's got to basically write interesting stuff so people subscribe and he makes money. It's a pretty cool situation. He talks about that, his beat writing days, working for the NBA. It's, it's a pretty good interview. And of course, you know, just as Kevin Durant likes to slide into my DMs, him and Kevin Durant had some confrontations, shall we say, in the Golden State locker room. 
But before we get to that, and obviously a pick, a brief pick for tonight's game, too, between the Heat and Celtics, I thought we'd quickly touch on what went down, not with Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. We'll save that for tomorrow. That's a spicy one. But we got to obviously talk about the Warriors 112, the Mavs 87, just like I said after the Celtics lost game one. Can't make any sleep sweeping conclusions. It's one game. Adjustments will be made. I don't read too much into this. The obvious takeaways. What the hell happened? Well, the Mavs shot 48 three-pointers, and they only made 11. You know, Jalen Brunson, donut from three. Davis Bertans came in 0 for 4 from deep. Kleber hit one friggin' shot. What is interesting to me for the Mavericks is the emergence of Dinwiddie. He's still in Spencer Dinwiddie versus the Suns mode. He had 17 points in 24 minutes. He was like one of their only offensive guys. That being said, when you watched him, it was literally one on four, and it was like 10 dribbles shot. Now he's making his three, so it kind of helped. But for the most part, the Mavs in the second half had no chance whatsoever. And Jalen Brunson played very poorly. He was 6 of 16. Luka Doncic was in his bag doing his thing, but he got double teamed heavily, seven turnovers. The Warriors were swiping at Doncic as he was coming through. Andrew Wiggins got him in the face, big scratch on his face. And they had a bunch of steals from him. I, I think the Mavs obviously will be better. I think we'll see less Dwight Powell, the same same thing that happened against the Suns, right? Powell started, then went to the bench. Eventually, to turn the series, he played like seven minutes, you know, as the starter, and then they went five wide. I think we'll see much more of Dinwiddie next game. But for the Golden State Warriors, it was like seven guys in double figures. Like Andrew Wiggins, who I bet against, had 15 in the first half. Steph Curry led all scorers with 21, led all rebounders. Yes, Steph Curry with 12. A lot of that's because they tried to put him in action. And when you're pick and roll, Steph's closer to the hoop than he is the three-point line on some of these drives and all these misses. Curry was collecting a bunch of boards. He had a flurry in the third quarter. And uh, Clay Thompson had zero at halftime, finished with 15. Draymond Green had 10. Looney had 10. It was like Jordan Poole came off the bench. It was just torching folks. Otto Porter looked good. Otto Porter looked pretty good, actually. Um, Kuminga didn't do much in, in five minutes of action. But bottom line is the Warriors look like the better team. I think we'll see a different game in game two. I don't read too much into this. I'd like to welcome back into the pod the esteemed producer, Rob G. I've known Rob for, I think, five years now. He produced my Saturday radio show for a minute till he moved on to bigger and better things. And he's been missing the last few days. And I, I wanted to just give him a quick chance to talk about where he's been and, and, and what's going on. And also Warriors Mavs, if you care to, although it was a 25-point uh, bloodbath. Well, Jason, like you, there's not a whole lot to take away from last night's game. Um, we've talked about this throughout the postseason. The one thing when you go into these series is Every game is its own story. So what you look for is not necessarily, you know, the the big outliers. It's what things are. Is it duplicatable? I think that's the word. Duplicatable. Yes. That things is you word. can do a second time. You know, that's what I look for. And I believe that the Golden State Warriors, you know, with uh, Poole, Clay, and, and Steph, they can they can get 55 points, you know, throughout uh, each game in the series. That's not, that's not shocking. What I don't expect to happen, though, is for Luka Doncic to have more turnovers than made baskets <laughs> and the the Mavs shooting splits to be 36-23-66. So I'm not saying that the Mavs are going to win the series, even though I picked them before the series started. But 
I'm not expecting game two to look anything like what we saw in game one. Um, it's going to be a much better effort from Dallas and, and, you know, we'll see what happens from there. Um, to answer your first question as to why I missed um, the start of this week, uh, you and I have talked, you know, off the air while we're recording this podcast. Uh, my dad had been sick for a couple of weeks. He'd been in intensive care. So I'd been going to the hospitals during the day and then going to the radio show in the afternoon and then coming back and doing this podcast at night. And um, unfortunately, over the weekend, he he passed away. And, you know, it was a really tough thing for me and, and, and my family and um, and my brothers. Uh, you know, I, I think I've told you and, and I, I've said on other shows that I would not be in this business were not for my dad. You know, um, one of my favorite pictures I have up in my house is a picture of me and my dad when I'm eight years old. And it's he and I reading the sports page um, on his bed. And that's how I started. That was my first exposure to sports media. You know, my dad worked a lot, um, but on the weekends when he was home, we would lay down in bed on, you know, Sunday, Saturday mornings, and we'd read the sports page. And when he was done with part of it and I was done, we'd swap and we'd read the other half of the sports page. <laughs> and uh, that's how I, you know, grew up. And as I got older and, and you know, I started to become a man, you know, um, and I, you know, didn't live with my dad because my parents divorced when I was really young, but he'd made a point to call me every single Thursday usually right around 10 a.m., almost at, on the dot, he'd call me to catch up. Uh, but more importantly, he'd call me to talk sports. And, you know, it's usually, it went from what's going on with Kobe, why is he shooting too much, to, you know, oh, I don't like LeBron. You know, he's always complaining about something. Oh. Or, you know, you know that's, that's where it went. And so, you know, I, I can, you know, when people say, oh, I wouldn't be here for this person, I wouldn't be here for that person, I 1,000% can tell you that I would not work in sports media if I didn't spend my life talking sports with my dad. That was the one thing we could always connect on, um, the one thing we always had in common. And so getting back to work um, last night on the radio show and then you know this morning on the podcast, you know, I was texting our boss, Scott Shapiro, and he's like, hey, if you need anything, let me know how you do. Um, I told, and he, he's like, hopefully this is a little therapeutic, you know, for you to be back at work and, and keeping your mind busy. And I told him like, look, my dad and my relationship has resolved around sports for 30 plus years. You know, uh, if, if I wasn't going to be sharing these hot takes on the podcast, <laughs> I would be sharing them with my dad. So, you know, this is something that, that as much as it, it hurts to talk about, it's something that I find peace with because this is something that he and I are always going to share and I'm sure as my daughter grows up I'll share with her as well so that's where I've been yeah man good to have you back obviously sorry for your loss and uh you know following the ordeal um I just I was I was gutted I was walking my dog Saturday morning getting ready to uh I think take my son to a basketball tournament and you know Rob just texts about his passing and I was just stunned I like literally stopped in the middle of the street and was like holy shit what the Oh my God. And I, I can't imagine. I mean, my wife lost her dad, geez, about a year after, like 11 months after we moved out here. And that was wow. a, a very tough ordeal. Um, he got a, a sick with a disease and uh, it was, he was gone pretty quickly. It was, it was sad. And um, yeah, it just happened on my dad was here last week, you know, so I was sharing it with him. Uh, your saga, Rob. And I just, you know, obviously my dad just left uh, to head, head home. And I was just telling him, like, listen, man, you, you got do your best to stay healthy, man. 
you know? Um, right. It's tough out there. For, it's just, as, as everybody gets older, like I, I joke about playing basketball and I'm sore and oh my goodness. And it's like, Damn, these guys are old. They've been, they've been around the block. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know. I'm in a melancholy mood this week, Rob, hearing your story. And um, I don't know if anybody watches the show, This Is Us. Do you watch that, Rob? I've seen it, yes. And I know all about it. I mean, this is like the end of the show in the last couple of weeks. And um, the, the episode this week was just brutal. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm not a crier on TV shows, but damn. This was a this was a tough one. Uh, right. I'm also watching Ozark with the wife, um, which is the the polar opposite. Yeah, although, slightly uh, different. No spoilers, <laughs> please. No spoilers for that. We're we're very close to the end. Um, at any rate, so uh, Rob, it's good to have you back, and uh, need, we need those those hot takes. Do you have any hot takes on Boston at Miami tonight? Now, as we record this early morning, still no word on if Al Horford will be out of protocols and if Marcus Smart will play. It sounds like no smart, but there were there is some money coming in on this uh, on the Celtics. This line opened at four. It went. It got bet down to three and a half. I don't know if somebody has some info. Is Horford back? That would obviously help. Is Marcus Smart back? That would obviously help. I'm sure you guys saw the Charles Barkley Shaq argument over w- w- will Jimmy Butler get forty again when Marcus Smart's back? It's just dumb but entertaining television. Um, and I guess. I don't have a play yet. I need to know because I want to lean Celtics. I think that's probably the side. But I don't know if they'll, they'll be able to do it without Smart and Horford. Again, you're leaning heavily on Derek White. You're then expecting someone like Grant Williams to become Game 7 Grant Williams and, and instead of, you know, Game 1 Grant Williams. And I don't, like, can, if Peyton Pritchard went off. I think he had 18 points. Like, if he doesn't do that and he gets his average of, like, 7 or 8, where are you getting the buckets from? They just don't have the bodies, Rob. So I don't know if I can take Boston. I'm going to hold off on betting this. But uh, any lean in game game two here? A thousand percent with you. If if I knew who was going to play, it would feel a lot easier to, to fire on it. Now, like to your point, I'm leaning Boston just because I don't expect this to be a short series for either team. I expect each team is going to win on the other team's home floor. And so I, ex- I if I were to lean, I would lean Boston to win. But as far as actually betting on it, until you know whether or not Marcus Smart and Al Horford are going to play, I think it would be irresponsible to bet on this game. Um, unrelated to the betting part, my big, you know, quote unquote, hot take on this this series and these playoffs as a whole, actually, you know, that saying where they say the game has moved away from them. You know, it's usually talking about centers, you know, you know, guys right. like Dwight Howard, you know, De- DeMarcus Cousins, whatever. Playoff basketball is where it moves towards Jimmy Butler because he doesn't shoot threes. He's tough as hell, tough as nails, and he can just score. He can shoot in the mid-range. He can get to the basket, get to the free throw line. Good footwork, yeah. Exactly. And so when everyone talks about the game moving away from someone and, and you know, that happens, you know, it's usually a regular season type thing when they talk about it. In the postseason, as you know, it's a totally different sport. And for whatever reason, and we I, I first noticed this his last season uh, in Philadelphia, Playoff basketball moves toward Jimmy Butler. If you yeah. think he's like a top 20 player in the regular season, he's easily a top 10 player in the postseason. Oh, certainly. He's a he's a bucket in the half court. And if he doesn't score, he's getting to the foul line. Like yes. 18 free throw attempts. And listen, I'm not saying he's better than Jason Tatum. Obviously, he was in game one. But he's fight. Tatum had one hand behind his back with no Smart and no Horford. Like when you're kicking it out to Derek White... And who was the other guy who played? Was it Thies who played a lot? Um, you know, Robert Williams. Daniel Thies got injured. a lot of minutes, yep. Yeah, it's like, come on. It's a, it was a tough one. I, I, again, 
I know we want to make sweeping conclusions on guys after one game, two games, three games. Like, I think you got to be a little patient. You know, we saw last round, right? Uh, Phoenix goes up 2 nothing, destroys them, and everybody writes off Dallas. Dallas advances, you know? Um, Philadelphia storms back to tie it 2-2 with Embiid, and it's like, oh, Philly's back. Philly's back. No, they have no chance. Like, Milwaukee goes up 3-2 on Boston. It's over. It's over. No, it's not. Like, let's be patient. I'm not writing off Boston. I'm not giving it to Miami. Uh, I think Dallas is still alive. Uh, unfortunately, you don't have to have a hot take on every game, but our guest, Ethan Strauss, has some really interesting stuff. I think you're going to love this. Let's welcome in Ethan Strauss, formerly of ESPN and of The Athletic. Enjoy it. You know a guy. Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to sports. I know what sports fans want. But for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does. Let's just say I know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy. All right, let's welcome into Straight Fire, I believe, our first guest who is on Substack. I don't know if you guys are up on Substack. I have been doing more of it in the last six months. I'm noticing a lot of smart voices are headed that direction. This gentleman's name is Ethan Strauss. You may know him as Ethan Sherwood Strauss. Uh, He's also an author. He does a, I don't even know what you call it, like a live podcast with my guy, Ryan Glassbeagle. How are you, Ethan? Yeah, it is a live live podcast with your guy, Ryan Glassbeagle, behind the sports industry. I'm doing fantastic, man. I uh, can't wait to get into all the... uh, all the, the industry topics that you're into. <laughs> yeah, I sent him a couple industry topics, but I need some background here because, um, you know, I first learned about Ethan when he was doing the book on the Warriors. It's called The Victory Machine. When KD was there, he, of course, got into a dust-up hmm. with Durant. We'll get to that. But I am curious, first of all, how did, how did you get into the whole journalism thing? Uh, because this is an industry that is, we've been told, has been dying for 15 years, maybe longer. Yeah, so right out of college, I didn't know what to do. It seemed like maybe my skill set would be good for being a lawyer, but I didn't want to be a lawyer. And a friend of a friend said, hey, you should apply to work for the NBA. They've got some sort of entry-level job. Um, and I had a buddy moving to New York. It's the cliche thing to do after college. You move out to New York. You've been snookered by all the TV shows and all the movies where people are in New York. It looks fantastic. If you are if you watch a random episode of Sex in the City, they're drinking mimosas out in the sunlight. You actually get there and it's gray and it's grim and it smells like garbage for all the great things about New York, too. I'm just saying I felt quite snookered, Uh, but I did take this job with the NBA. My job was to wake up at 3.30 a.m. every morning and read literally everything written about the NBA and then send a memo to David Stern and all these other people within the league. It was called media monitoring. It sounds very Orwellian. It was just letting David know who he had to kill or shake from a window, I suppose. But what it exposed me to was this whole world of beat writers. And since my life sucked, it was miserable. I was making 17 grand uh, to work seven days a week and have no sleep schedule. If I ever did go out and drink, I would pass out on the subway and wake up in Coney Island. So my life sucked, but I was looking at the, these people, they, they get to travel the country, watching basketball games, sitting courtside. And I think that is, that's what started the attraction to, to that sort of job. And I'm cutting out a lot of aspects of what happened, but my I put in my two weeks for the NBA. The last thing I did before leaving the NBA as a very low-level worker um, was to attend the 2009 NBA draft. And everybody 
at that draft who was working for the NBA in my position was assigned a draft pick. I had the selection that turned out to be Ricky Rubio, which mm, isn't how they planned it. He fell. They actually had a, a couple women who spoke Spanish uh, for the picks ahead of me because they don't assign you to a player. They assign you to a pick. They were counting on Ricky to fall there. To my great shame, even though I'm from San Diego, I don't speak a word of Spanish. <laughs> and Ricky didn't really speak English. And I had to just put him through this death march of interviews for over three hours, not let him see his family or anything like that, uh, just do the junket, and then be sitting next to him when he was on the phone with the Wolves in this awkward conversation where he's talking with David Kahn and Glenn oh. Taylor, and he doesn't want to come over there. And they're trying to convince him, and I'm going, I hear the people are nice in Minnesota, and I'm trying to you know, put a nice face on it, but he's depressed. And so I went home that night after it was all over. I wrote down everything about the experience. I kind of forgot about it for about a year, and then I saw the free Darko blog was doing a lot of uh, cool stuff. So I just sent it to them and I said, hey, you know, maybe run this on the blog. I used to work for the NBA. This is my night with a very uh, depressed Ricky Rubio. And they put it up on their blog. It got picked up by Deadspin. And that was the first inkling that, oh, you know, maybe I could write for an audience wider than my own family if I mm. framed a story right, if I made it interesting enough. And that that got me off and running. There are a lot of other details there, but that was the precipitating event. Yeah. So where did you go after leaving the when you put in your two weeks? Well, I came back to the Bay Area. I got into walk through a $400, $400 a month uh, spot in a house I was sharing with my buddies in Oakland. And I applied to work at salon.com, which I think was a better publication back then. So I was thinking political journalism, something you know serious. And so I got there. And to what you're saying, it was obvious that journalism was collapsing. Um, because when I got there, there had already been layoffs. Uh, the building was half vacant. It felt like a kid playing dress up because I'm in my early 20s. And I'll just walk into the corner office and I'll start getting work done as an intern because nobody is occupying it because so many people have been fired. And I just started doing all these little odd jobs around there of uh, just weekend editing and aggregation and all of all of that. But I was still interested in basketball. I, I liked following the Warriors. I was a frustrated fan of the uh, latter Don Nelson Warriors, and he was a mess after we believe. And so I was... I applied to write for the Warriors World blog, and one day Rashid Malek, who was uh, in control. Wait, wait, of, what? What? Wait, this is a Golden State Warriors team affiliated blog or like a fan blog? It's a fan blog. It's a fan blog. Oh, and they were taking applications. Oh, just hey, Jeez. if you want to write for us for oh, free, oh, oh. and I just well, said these were like the Monte Ellis years, maybe. Exactly, and I okay, just yeah, yeah, and I just said hey, you know, if uh, if that's what you want, I'd be interested. And since nobody. It was like a job nobody showed up for. Since nobody was doing it, since it paid nothing, I start getting a press pass and I go to games and I'm in the locker room. And at that point, I mean, the Warriors are this huge worldwide brand now. Nobody cared back then nobody or cared. barely anybody cared. I was in the locker room. I'd look. There was Rusty Simmons from the Chronicle, beat writer. There's Marcus Thompson, then at the uh, Contra Costa, whatever it was called. I went through all these different iterations, Oakland Tribune. But there are two beat writers. There may be a radio guy collecting sound, maybe one other person and a tumbleweed blowing through. <laughs> and you just kind of get a sense of how things are. I made a bunch of mistakes not knowing. I took a picture 
of the whiteboard of the strategy and got pulled oh, aside by the PR. Like you can't, you know, I'm, I'm just because like, I'm a nice guy. I'm just going to tell you that, you know, you'll be banned for life. if That happens again. Like, oh, okay. I didn't know. Wow. I didn't like, I didn't know. I didn't this know. Was, hold on. Sorry. This was before Steph Curry arrived. Correct. No, Steph Curry was there, but he wasn't Steph Curry. You know, he was, he getting, was like a first year guy, second year guy banished behind Mondelez, yeah, Ellis. Right. Yeah. I started okay. showing up around 2010. So he was getting injured left and right. I, th- right. I thought he was pretty great. Monte had just no connection to the team. Monte would show up with his headphones on, talking to nobody. He'd eat a turkey sandwich, and this was in pregame, and then he would just go and do whatever. And then after the game, he would basically talk to nobody. David Lee loved doing media, so David Lee would do the media. And it just wasn't... It was just obscurity. And I almost quit, actually, because being around losing is not it's not fun. You can kind of feel it. It seeps in the people's pores. But lo and behold, you know, they had the ownership change. Steph Curry flourished, became a star. And all of a sudden, ESPN was looking around saying, we need a beat writer. We need somebody covering this. Uh, well, here's this guy. He's on the scene. He's Johnny on the spot. We don't have to pay him like Jay Adonde. Let's just have this guy do it. So that's that's what got things started for really? me. Really? That's yeah. crazy. So this was, uh, I'm looking at the roster. Jeremy Lin was a rookie. Yeah. Um, Darrell Wright was kind of a high flyer. They had some guys on that team. Mm-hmm. Beadrins was supposed to be something. But I'm, I'm seeing the coach was Keith Smart. Is that oh, the yeah. former Indiana guy oh, who hit the it, shot? Oh, it definitely is. And one of my welcome to the NBA moments was that Keith, who was a nice guy to be clear, I had no understanding or inclination that anything I wrote was read by anybody. And one day, Key Smart stormed up to me, and he just started saying, "Why do you hate Monte? Why do you hate Monte?" And I just like, I didn't frankly know you knew who I was. I have no <laughs> idea. This is uh, it's like my TV has jumped out and started talking to me. And no, wait, wait, hold on. Was this for a blog post or an ESPN piece? I mean, this is uh, back then. I was doing blog posts, but every now and again. Um, I facilitated a relationship with ESPN where I would do the occasional freelance job. You get paid a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. And that started to pick up more so later on uh, when the Warriors got good. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, back then, I don't even know. I don't even know what it was in reference to uh, what Keith was, was upset about, but, yeah, I just felt like I was kind of in a vacuum. I felt like yeah. nobody's watching this team. I'm watching this team. I find it kind of interesting and funny. Um, and I like it better than the political journalism. But this isn't really going anywhere. This is just what I'm doing. And then out of nowhere, it becomes the biggest dynasty since the 90s Bulls. Yeah. L- let me ask. A lot of the young guys, I- I'm telling you, I don't know how much of this you get, but I get guys sending me messages all the time. How do you? How do I get where you are? How do I get you know journalism? And I'm just hearing you're doing, you did a lot of the stuff I did. Like you were writing for free for a blog, going to games, and then next thing you know, boom, you're yeah. Johnny on the spot. Like nobody wants to do that these days, Ethan. Nobody wants to work for free. No. And I know if you put that on Twitter, people get so angry. Everybody should be paid. <laughs> Every, You know, I'm like, guys, no. Yeah. I, you know, I did the big lead for, I don't know, a year and a half, and I got like no money whatsoever in addition to my full-time job. But then at the end of the rainbow, there there's a payoff. How do we talk and tell these guys, well, listen, working for free is not the worst thing in the world? Well, it's the is versus ought divide, right? Um, yeah, you ought to be able to get paid early on on your path to stardom or whatever. That ought to be what happens. It would be great. And Twitter is a place for ought. Yes, it ought to happen that way. But this is how it is. 
it is this way. You do have to grind. You do have to maybe work for free and get somebody to notice you before they're willing to pay you to do something else. Eventually yeah. you get leverage. I've seen people who are young destroy their careers because they're mean to the gatekeepers or they're insecure about getting corrected or told that this isn't good enough to run. They snap at one of the gatekeepers and then they don't really get another shot at it. Yeah. You kind of need to establish enough of a foothold before you can become a diva before you have any leverage and it's hard to get leverage it's a tough industry because so many people love sports so many people want to be in media i told you i made 17 grand my first year working in pr for the nba you better believe that the second i quit there was some other college kid lining up to do it 100%, because yeah. it's the nba and they want to be yeah. affiliated with the nba and that is an unfortunate downside of being in a business that's a lot of people's passion project but that's the reality. And since it's the reality, you're just not going to get paid out the gate in many instances. And I, I wasn't even doing it as a plan. In many ways, it was an accidental career. I remember David Lee would get so mad at me. And whatever he was saying to me, I remember thinking, I, I'm almost sympathetic because I don't even know why I'm here. You know, I don't even know why I'm here as this 5'11 guy uh, criticizing what you're doing. But it happened because 99% of life is showing up, paid or unpaid. Yeah, do you, in your humble opinion, do you think when ESPN was looking for a beat writer, if you had not been doing that blog for free, they would have picked your resume out of the no. 20 that they... There, there's no way. There's no way. Um, I was noticed by Henry Abbott and Kevin Arnovitz. They liked some of what they saw on the blog, and then it became, hey... Do you want to maybe write an article here? Do you want to maybe write an article there? Uh, Royce Webb, uh, who actually edits my stuff uh, on the Substack, um, also kind of pulled me more in when I was working for Bleacher Report and brought me into the fold, but it was based on what I had done for free. What I had done for free was the audition that allowed me to get paid. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, 
I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. And getting paid is enabling you now to do the Substack because you have yeah. leverage and credibility and uh, people know who you are and you've written a book on the Warriors. So I, I am curious, pivoting to Substack, uh, do, what, you, I know you have a kid and I'm presumably you have a wife and a family. Like, What was yes. their reaction when you said, I'm going to try this thing called Substack? <laughs> My wife was oddly supportive. I, I shouldn't say oddly, but I... I thought she would be more concerned, but I think she could tell that I had been ground down and that I needed a change. And I think a lot of that came out of the pandemic era where it felt like in terms of sports coverage, you were trying to get blood from a stone. And it seemed like the public didn't have as much appetite for sports as it usually does for understandable reasons. And you yourself as a content creator, didn't care as much either. And yet you're trying to get them to pay attention. You're trying to get yourself to be engaged in it. And I I just didn't have the juice. And it's tough at The Athletic because they've got such a great team covering the Warriors. I think Anthony Slater, Marcus Thompson, Tim Kawakami, um, all covering the Warriors, doing a great job. So I just felt like I was getting worse. And that when my deal would be up in two years, uh, I wouldn't be able to get a good deal after that, uh, I know people might think it's crazy because there's not a lot of job security in, in journalism, but I, I 
basically asked out of my three-year deal with over two years left just because I knew that I didn't have it in me and I knew I needed to do something uh, just that would challenge me and kind of scare me. I needed to be scared, as weird as that sounds. And sub, it scared the shit out of me because you open up your sub stack and if you fail, not only is it a financial failure, but it's an ego death as well of, yeah. oh, no, people really don't care about what I have to say. Uh, but I, I told myself basically, look, this, that might be the lesson I have to learn. If that's the case, if I learn that I can't stand on my own two feet, um, and I'm somebody who might be able to be a barnacle on some other hole, then I'd rather just learn that lesson now than always wonder for decades. And it was my opportunity to find out. And I am, I'm thrilled to say that it worked out. I'm just, you don't have to answer this, but does your wife work or does she, is she stay at home with the kids? Uh, she works. Yeah, she works. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you got, yeah, at least you got a bit of a fail safe there, right? The, the wife is the backup. If Substack implodes, uh, not saying it will, cause your stuff has been pretty popular uh, in the last six months. I'll say I'm, I'm the majority earner in this household and we would, we would have a problem financially uh, if there was failure. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you about, uh, as you cover the Warriors for ESPN, uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Splash Brothers, all this happens. They get Kevin Durant, and you write the book on the dynasty. First of all, I want to start with give me a sense of the locker room in the years before Kev, the two years before Kevin Durant arrived, and then during Kevin Durant. Was there a massive difference? Uh, no difference at all? Yeah. Uh, well, there's that happy rise. There's that upward trajectory. I remember towards the end that Steve Kerr was saying that he was reading about the Bucks of that time. And he was just angry at how happy they all sounded. And he threw the phone because he remembered those days where you're, you're going on the up and everything's great and everybody's winning. Um, and they're exploring new, op they're just exploring uh, aspects of their talent that they wouldn't have even thought that they had. And, you know, it was a very happy place and it was just really copacetic. I think, especially in that first year, and then the next year, it seemed like something shifted. That and that was the '73 win year, but yes. it seemed like something shifted because you could pressure. see, you could see the pressure, you could see some of the tensions between uh, Kerr and Draymond, and those had been there in year one, and those are always there, and they make it work somehow as a working relationship. But it ultimately blew up in that famous Oklahoma City game where uh, they needed to be separated. And so you started to see you started to see some of that. You could see the fissures and then they ultimately they you know the three one, they blew blow the lead, they lose. There's a lot of sadness. And they didn't totally break up the team because you have the core, but that iteration of the Warriors with Harrison Barnes and Bogut, strength in numbers, that gave way to uh, the decadent Warriors, the most talented team anybody had ever seen with Kevin Durant. And then you almost had a bit of a renewal because I think that they were in many ways uh, pretty relaxed and Kevin Durant was relaxed and happy. And the thing I remember about those years when KD came was just beers in the locker room that it was so, it felt like it just felt like being around a 1980s baseball team because hmm. the game would be out and then you'd be in the locker room interviewing guys and they'd just be drinking Coors Lights. I remember, remember KD would just house a, a Coors Light, which for him at that size is probably like me uh, taking a, a small sip, but he would just house it. He would just let out a big belch and then he would start the interview. Um, the Warriors coaches wow. would 
would have the Modellos. I think they eventually cut that out. I don't know why they cut that out or what precipitated it, but that was part of their appeal. I mean, that's that's part of what was appealing to Durant about the Warriors was that All-Star weekend um, incurs for a season, I think, where he was in the locker room, he visited the coach's locker room, and they were all drinking beers. And he said, hey, you know, is this what you guys do? And Steve's like, hell yeah, this is what we do. And so when you juxtapose that against the uptight Oklahoma City culture, um, it was very appealing. It was kind of loosey-goosey in this idea that you can be dominant and you can have fun. So I think the first KD season had a good vibe. And then after that, it started to curdle because as Steve Nash has talked about, as other people have reported, it just didn't accomplish for Durant what he thought it would. It didn't do for him what he was looking for. And that's where I have like a fundamental disagreement with a lot of people and not just the jabronis online, but like real people that you think are pretty smart and intelligent and you think that, oh, these guys, this guy has some okay takes and then you hear them on Durant. I mean, Ethan, like I don't understand fundamentally why people are not giving Kevin Durant, quote unquote, credit Mm. for these two championships. Very simple. Just a reminder. Very, very simple. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because he so badly wants it. (laughs) That's how life works. (laughs) That's how life works. You know, anybody in the affairs of love know this. Hey, if you seem desperate, are you going to get are you going to get the girl you seem desperate? That's no, a great point. No, Clay Thompson seems like he's barely aware of our existence. His approval rating is like 105%. That is how life works. That's how it is. If you seem thirsty for that credit, you seem like you want it. We don't give it to you for whatever That's reason. A, yeah, I've, I've had forgotten about that. That's a great aspect of it. And, you know, even this week, um, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, oh, wait, when the Warriors win the championship this year, I think they're the favorites now, maybe them or Boston. And, hey, it's going to prove they got a title before Durant and they got a title after Durant. They didn't need him. And so, you know, I, I put that on my Instagram stories and Durant like doesn't follow me, but mm-hmm. I tag him instantly sent me a message. Well, what's the narrative I get to push if the Warriors lose? <laughs> and I said, that, yeah, I had not thought about that. And I don't. And it's weird, Ethan, because you, you said he's so thirsty for it and they know he has rabbit ears. People almost they, they don't even want to think about that. Like what happens if Golden State does lose to, to Luka? Yeah. Can we start the, you know what, they they kind of need Kevin Durant. They're, no, they're not going to do it. And I do think he he should get more credit. I think it's so easy to say that, oh man, he had coattails. He was a bus rider. He wasn't a bus driver, as Barkley said. But we That's forget. That's inaccurate. It, Come on. We forget to what he's saying. Those, those shots he's taken in those finals, in those conference finals, if Kevin Durant has a meltdown, when he was on the Warriors, and he never did, to be clear. In never. The end. I mean, he would have games, right? But we're talking about flame out of the playoffs eliminated. They only- Chris Paul, flame out, James yeah. Harden, that kind of thing. He yeah. never has that. No. Yeah, they only got eliminated in the series where he got injured. So, yeah, I mean, we're kind of playing the result where because they won, we say it was easy. But if he had really started to choke and he had missed a bunch of shots and they lost, he would have gotten crushed. And so... Mm-hmm. I think there is a lack of fairness considering how unguardable he was in those series and how brilliant he was in those finals. And it does seem like nobody really cares. But then again, I mean, it's just it's just a natural result of seeming like he needs the credit because he needs it, even if he deserves it. Deserves got nothing to do with it, as Clint Eastwood once said. 
Yeah, he's going to be on the right side of history. 15 years from now, nobody, I don't think this will be a topic, right? We don't remember, you know, Grant Hill nearly going to Orlando and, and Tim Duncan almost do. We don't remember all that stuff. I do wonder, do you think it was hard? I think the harder decision for Kevin Durant was to leave. It was harder to leave OKC, be hated by 29 other teams. Instantly, he became the biggest villain in the league, right? Almost yeah. like LeBron going to Miami. I think it was thus it was harder to leave than to stay. Staying's easy. Everybody's gonna mm. love you. Hey, KD, we love you, man. Thanks for staying. No, nobody's booing him everywhere he goes. Nobody's filling up his Instagram inbox with no. "you suck" and all this stuff. If he stays, right? So, it, what doesn't that, Ethan? Lend credence to my belief that it was harder to leave. It might have been harder emotionally, but not harder to win, right? I mean, that's, right. that's yeah, the no, thing. Certainly. I just think it, it was a little too decadent for people. It was a little too much that they had Steph and Clay and Draymond and Andre and Kevin Durant on top of it. It just didn't feel fair to people. And we can. We can do what some of the smarty pants sports writers did and say he has that right, that he shouldn't have his own talent held against him. I mean, there's something weird about that, this idea that you get blamed for joining a super team if you're great, but if you're not very good, then it's totally acceptable. It's a strange, <laughs> it's a strange thing, but that's how people are. And that's what they react to. And what's tricky there is that it helps to have your own fan base who's in your corner. And he's kind of a man without a country. Um, you know, <laughs> Oklahoma City fans would argue for Kevin Durant's greatness. Laker fans would viciously argue for Kobe Bryant's greatness. And then KD comes to the Warriors. And what does he have? He's got a bunch of Steph Curry fans who, frankly, would rather Steph Curry be the hero than Kevin Durant be the hero. That's just how it is. I remember at The Athletic, we would sometimes do an event and there would be people in the audience. We talked at Salesforce and we would say, hey, who's your favorite Warriors player? I was just curious. And Steph Curry, the hands all shoot up. Kevin Durant, no hand goes up. That's the situation he chose, but those that's that's the reality he chose. But that not that also due to the structure of the NBA draft? Like, you get drafted by this team. Yes. You have to go there for X amount of years. Then the most lucrative next deal you can sign, so we keep the bad teams from being awful, and we try to make them good and push up some parity like the NFL. Like, we want players to stay. We don't want them jumping around. Yeah. Well, I, I also just think there's an emotional connection when you watch them become great over time and you don't know what they're going to become but you see it and you see them flourish and there's just going to be more of an attachment i know that that when they when i've done a, a breakdown of the local ratings it's so interesting we're talking about on a local level for teams uh the teams that have these drafted cores do so much better than the teams that are just kind of thrown together and people really develop that connection. And so, yeah, it's not fair to the athletes. Yes, it's weird that we expect them to have some loyalty to a team that they themselves did not choose, to a city that they themselves are not from. But that's how it is. And that's what resonates with fans. Yeah, it's of three of the final four teams largely homegrown. Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler's kind of tossed in there. But uh, I would agree with that point. Now, you have – I'm curious. We can wrap up on Kevin Durant with this. Um what what was your beef with him? Did he ever explain it to you face to face? Is he, oh, yeah. how was he in person? Was it, did you feel like he was trying to bully you? Is he just a jerk? I don't I don't know. It's a little more complicated than that. He didn't like when I said that he would probably leave. 
it was in the aftermath of actually the Knicks opening up a bunch of cap space um, ah. with a big trade. And he didn't show up to media availability, I think, for eight days in a row, which is mandated by the league. Now, I'm not somebody who says you have a responsibility to the journalists out there to show up. I really don't care. But yeah. it's significant. It's interesting when a guy starts just out of nowhere, not showing up to availabilities. And um, so I wrote it. We were talking about it behind the scenes. Everybody knew he had one foot out the door, but it wasn't really getting said. So I said that internally, there's an expectation that he's gone. Um, and he did not like that. And so in a press conference, uh, I think he said something like, you got this dude, Ethan Strauss, giving his whole opinion. He doesn't talk to anybody and kind of blasted me. And it was surreal to be in the press conference as it was happening. <laughs> It was funny. I went into the locker room afterwards and Andre Godala sees me. He's like, he went off on your ass. Just Andre's like laughing. <laughs> then the, then but, the Warriors players were trying to get me to apologize to him. Thinking that wait, the Warriors like, players? Yeah, because from their perspective, they just need Kevin to be in the right mindset. They just ah. need him to. And, and they were kind of, I think. Look, That's weird. They That's were, well, yeah, they were looking at it from the player perspective where, hey, we've got to eat a bowl of shit for the sake of the superstar. That's how the NBA is. And this guy, he's a superstar. So we got to do whatever we got to do. Isn't that the same for you as a media person? Because you media people report on superstars. I remember Andre saying, you know, uh, I don't know who your, your source is, but is he going to be in the league longer than Kevin Durant? Now, <laughs> I, and, and sorry. Yeah, that's no, really funny. yeah. Yeah. And I think he, like Andre had a point. He's always very perceptive, but I do think yeah. he was almost looking at it a little bit more so from the player vantage than from my perspective is my perspective was, you know, I don't really need Kevin Durant. I don't, um, somebody is going to get, you know, it, Somebody like uh, Chris Haynes, who does a great job, is going to get the KD access. I don't think I'm ever going to get more access than that. Marcus Thompson is going to get great access. There are some other reporters. I'm going to do a different thing. I don't need to, I don't know, apologize if I don't think I did something wrong. But it was funny because I remember in those days after that happened, I saw DeMarcus Cousins. And DeMarcus, oh. he, looks at, he looks at me and goes, man, you got some apologizing to do. And I go, I mean, how am I supposed to apologize if I don't think I did anything wrong? And DeMarcus goes, shit, that's for you to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> DeMarcus Cousins, that's the guy who said, you, you got to apologize. I mean, really? DeMarcus Cousins? Well, their perspective oh, was this guy's a My big goodness. deal and he's mad at you. So you gotta, we need him happy. We need, yeah. A, we need him happy. And B, we think you need, you know, you need to make him happy. And um, God, I mean, this is all in my book, but it was funny. I mean. Andre, Andre says to me, uh, like, you married? I go, yeah. He goes, hey, man, sometimes you got to apologize for some shit. You know, you don't think you, you didn't even think you did wrong. Like, you just got to do that. That's how it is. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, 
Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This is a good theory, but I think it also goes into the crazy bucket. Um, and I'm curious of what the listeners think. So you, uh, your belief is that the NBA players are more owned by the shoe companies than they are teams. Did not, I say that accurately? Not all of them. At the top okay. of the top. The top the tier superstar. Tip top. So LeBron we'll James with is LeBron. more okay. of a Nike employee 
than he is an employee of the Lakers. And I would defy you to prove me wrong on that. Okay, I, let's you. skip on LeBron. He's like the face of the Nike pretty much. So who who else though? Like, get, I'm curious. Like Steph Curry, is he an Under Armour guy or a Warriors guy? That one's a little trickier. Yeah. I think that there is a little bit more of a sense that maybe he could sign somewhere else or do something else. I'm not aware of what his particular deal is with mm-hmm. UA, but for I, I think with Steph, it's a little trickier because he's never left the Warriors. That one is a right. little bit more in dispute. I would say that KD is more of a Nike employee than the Brooklyn Nets employee. Um, uh, Steph, Steph might be more of a Warriors employee if I've got to choose one or the other. How about a guy like Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving, where it's been reported that Nike has uh, yep. said sayonara. Um, yeah. I mean, what? who is Kyrie an employee of? He's an employee of the voiceless. He's an employee of the revolution. Oh, revolution, <laughs> my ass. I am curious where you are on Kyrie. Now, I don't know how much you've covered him or how much you've been around him. I find him to be, you know, a bit of a space cadet. There's nothing wrong with that. I know plenty of good level-headed space cadets. But at the same time, he's like unbelievably ego-driven and also delusional. And at the same time, I think he's one of the most overrated players in the league, if not the most overrated player in the NBA. Well, I wouldn't say overrated in terms of talent level, but maybe in terms of impact. If you Ethan, are, what has he done? Well, he, he had the, one shot against the Warriors. One shot, what, six years ago? Well, he also what scored he over 40 then? points in that game five. I mean, the guy, the guy's okay. talent level. Alongside and, LeBron. He's yeah. a brilliant player. He's a brilliant, he's just a brilliant player. Now, brilliant individual player, right? Yes. Does he is have Kyrie a, Irving a winning player? I mean, when he's with LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> Since then, nothing. And he, and he always is hurt in the playoffs. Like, I, I'm just not buying the hype. Like, is he incredibly talented? No doubt. The guy's got ridiculous skills. I love watching him dribble the basketball. But he's not a winner. Well, he doesn't have so much a commitment to these situations. And it's hard to be a winner, I think, absent that. And, yeah, I think your read on him is not so different from my read on him. I find him interesting just because he seems so committed to his own wavelength. And it sometimes reveals certain things. It sometimes, I mean, I would not want, I would not want to necessarily have to depend on him for anything. But mm. I do think that in the case of the uh, vaccine stare down he had with the uh, city of New York, um, I do think he ultimately prevailed, and it was interesting. I think he did reveal that the rules didn't make a lot of sense. It didn't make a lot of sense that he could show up and attend a game without a mask or anything, but he couldn't play in that game. Um, that he could practice, but he couldn't actually play in the arena. Mm. But like a guy who is sometimes a bit crazy, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, and stubborn, will sometimes reveal um, gaps and holes in the system because he's just enough of a jerk to question it when everybody else is just going to go along to get along. He doesn't go along to get along, and sometimes, or at least in that case, he revealed an inconsistency with how power was being used. So I found that to be an interesting outcome. But that being said, I don't disagree with any aspect of your assessment of his personality. Yeah, I guess, uh, listen, I've forgotten already. Maybe I've tried to block it out, um, all the COVID and the rules and the mandates. But I, I, I think the rules and the mandates were okay initially, and eventually they became stupid, right? Yeah. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, Canada, well, unless they were there, there were a lot of rules. It's like we don't know at the beginning, so we're just throwing everything right. at this thing. Exactly. We're throwing the kitchen sink. And then there's a period of time where you're saying, hey – this thing we threw didn't work or this thing maybe worked better um, or this thing didn't make sense. 
And so I think that was the that was the situation. And I certainly I think that I don't even know what my position on it was, but uh, I think people were more judgmental about his stance early on in the beginning than I guess towards the end of things. Yes. Well, I mean, and again, I, I hate to talk about all this COVID stuff. I know nobody likes over, it. But, it's not. We, but yeah. <laughs> I think we would agree initially, everybody just wanted this to end. Get vaccinated. Let's uh, have some mandates and let's shut this. Let's get rid of COVID, right? And then after a while, it was like, okay, COVID's going away. The mandates, we could just do away with them. Would you agree largely that is what went down? Um, or am I missing that. some? Maybe I've got some gaps. Trying to there. Think, I'm just trying to think about that. Um, well, it, are you talking about in the context of Kyrie? Or are you talking in, about yes, some, Kyrie society wide? I mean, in the context of Kyrie, New York City was going further than other cities, so that's right. the distinction. Well, they, right, they got there. hit the hardest, right, initially. But the problem with them getting hit the okay, they got hit the hardest initially, and that obviously I think inspired them to maybe yeah. be stricter later on but then they got hit again and getting hit again almost disproved the thesis because exactly they got they got hit again not in terms of hospitalizations but in terms of infections um despite being the most vaccinated city so it kind of gave lie to the idea that this is a bulwark against the spread happening um and god i hate revisiting this stuff i mean it's it's already making me seize up because it was just so every that's what i discovered too just writing about it nobody wants to read about it nobody wants to think about it we all want to move on but i do think that new york city when Kyrie was butting heads with them towards the end had a policy that was going above and beyond what other cities were going through and i would add in my own editorial way foolish policies and he was revealing how foolhardy the policies were uh, even though he himself might have been motivated by the wrong reasons he was butting heads with them perhaps because he's obstinate perhaps because he wants to fight perhaps because he's not necessarily uh, studying everything but he's just Kyrie being Kyrie and so it was a weird circumstance where he had a point but at the same time it was uh, indicative of everything that's so tiresome about him it's it's not just that about him. It's like the I need to, I need a mental health break and like not giving like any reasons why he disappears. Yeah, dis- for you times. can't go AWOL on your NBA team. You just can't do that. <laughs> yeah. And it's fun. I'm glad the Nets are finally pushing back. At any rate, you said something interesting. People are kind of past COVID. I don't do many newsletters, but I do Morning Brew, and they had a fascinating nugget that in April website traffic for People Magazine, Us Weekly, and the New York Post were way up year over year. Ethan, it feels like we're in that phase now where people are done talking about war, yeah. elections, um, what what else? COVID, yeah. death, all this negativity. People just want the fluff. They want like the Johnny Depp trial. Yes. They want that all that nonsense. It feels like we're coming back to that. But at the same time, I've noticed that NBA playoff ratings are kind of shooting up. Yeah. No LeBron. Uh right, right. No, no Kawhi in the Clippers. The Knicks are not in the playoffs. The Bulls got ousted. I am curious as to your thoughts on on what this means, if anything. Maybe it's just a blip or new blood or or people just love Luka Doncic. Yeah, well, there are two things happening. One of them is very technical and the other is more cultural that you're that you're saying. The first technical aspect, and I want to emphasize this isn't just the NBA. This is all the broadcasters and all the TV shows. They've gotten this big ratings boost because they've successfully lobbied Nielsen into counting out-of-home ratings, meaning that when you watch a TV program outside of your house that used not to count, but they have people who are literally wearing these pager devices that pick up the sound waves and add to it. And it adds significantly. I know the ratings Ryan's blog looked at the NBA ratings specifically their viewership specifically and said, 
ultimately, give or take, it's a 15% boost. That's a huge number, 15%. So I think in that blog, and it was a couple weeks ago, he had concluded that the ratings are back to 2019 levels, which is a rebound from how they collapsed in 2020 and 2021. But you're seeing all this stuff where people uh, at these various leagues are saying it's the most watched blah, 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 since blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is just BS. It's like they move the fences into 280 feet and it's, oh my God, you know, look at all the home runs. Um, that said, some people are hitting the ball far. You know, like there is resonance and for them to have this rebound effect with no LeBron, I think suggests that there's some LeBron fatigue. I think there's a hunger for the league, maybe opening up a bit, some new storylines. People miss the Warriors. The Warriors are coming back. And so, and to what you're saying as well, COVID was a suppressant when it came to whatever activities were collective. And you would think that in attend, you know, attendance isn't the same thing as, uh, you know, I think a lot of people when it first started thought that, oh my God, everybody's at home, so they're going to watch sports. You know, the people running these leagues thought that. But sports are so much about connectivity and community, and it helps the sport when people can go out and attend things and meet up in sports bars and tell each other about the big game coming up. And I think the crowd is another big factor, especially for NBA games. So I think the numbers are rebounding a bit, not to what they were like in 2015 or whatever, but they're rebounding a bit um, because COVID is fading away. And as COVID fades away, people enjoy the NFL, the NBA, these other big leagues more so. Just listening to you break that down, it just dawned upon me. Is it possible, Ethan, that this new way of tracking viewers is coming at a fortuitous time for the league? Isn't the TV deal up in fairly short order? Yes, they're definitely working on that and trying to iron it out. Now, the people signing those papers, they know that the numbers are now juiced. But still, ah. I think the headlines <laughs> make an impact. I think it impacts everybody, which is yep. why they they really lobby you, why the NBA gets in your ear if they don't like what you're saying about their ratings trajectory. I mean, you would think that Bob Iger or whoever would not be so swayed, but I think people are swayed by press releases. So I do think it's it's coming at a decent time for them. And the broadcasters were desperate for it, and not just the NBA, but they were saying, we're getting crushed in this pandemic. Nielsen's not counting all our viewers. They need a change. And um, I think it made a big impact on Nielsen and Nielsen's scared of some competing ratings collector uh, dislodging them that they said, okay, fine, here are your juiced numbers, you know, or <laughs> leave us alone. I almost, uh, I, part of me kind of sort of wonders if, you know, the league ending in what November with the Le- oh, Lakers title in the bubble didn't and then July last year, that, that was obviously awful, but I mean, what do you think is the best finals for the league? Warriors versus Celtics, probably, right? Yeah, it's got to be Warriors-Celtics. That would be the most interesting. I mean, Jimmy Butler is so fun is, as a yeah. playoff player, but I don't think I don't think most sports fans even know that Jimmy Butler is on the Heat. You're going to get some yeah. rebuttal. Like, of course, everybody knows that. No, but no. I, mean, I got with the mo- your mom. Does your mom know no. who Jimmy Butler is? You're, My mom has no clue. Yeah, mom doesn't know who Jimmy Butler is. Mom knows what the Celtics are. Not, she, but yes, she, she might not know 
you know, who Jason Tatum is or whatever, but Mm -hmm. it's more important for the league going forward that a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown is introduced to your mom Um, or, or Luca is than Jimmy Butler, who has been spectacular, but I believe he's in his thirties and uh, he's not an up and coming star. So yeah, I think for the league, the best would be Warriors Celtics, but the league also needs to figure out a way to market Luca because he's going to be a force for years to come. And they haven't really had that success of marketing international players. And if he's going to become the dominant guy, they got to figure out a way to get it right. All right. Two final questions. Um, number one, super teams for the league, good or bad in your opinion? I think everything's in balance. You just can't go too far. Um, poison is determined by the dose. If I put a little salt on my steak, it's delicious. If I eat the entire carton, I'm dead. So you can't have a bunch of super team situations. I think you don't want to have players just breaking off from their teams the second that they're unhappy in the way we've been seeing uh, with the Brooklyn Nets, um, for instance. And so the NBA just needs to seem like they're not a series of super teams. One is fine. One villainous super team that everybody roots against is probably pretty good. Uh, And then the final question, do you, and you don't have to give me traffic numbers, but for Substack, do you get more clicks, uh, new subscribers, all the metrics that matter from writing about like sports media, sports business. Any, I know you did a post on yeah. gambling. What, what traffic's the best for you? So as far as subscriptions, sports media, behind scenes mm. sports media, because people in the media pay to see it. People at these different institutions, different agencies will pay to see it. For traffic, if I'm doing a free post, something about culture. I mean, my most well-trafficked post was a free one I did on the way Nike's advertisements had shifted. So it's very unpredictable when it comes to the free posts, but uh, Media Scuttlebutt definitely gets the paid subscriptions. All right, give give them a subscribe. Uh, Ethan Strauss, Ethan, you're still in the Bay Area, right? Indeed. Nice, nice. Uh, hey, man, congrats on all your success. You got a great story, obviously. Any more books in the hopper? No, I actually was about to close the deal on my second book. I was offered it uh, as far as a, an oral agreement would be concerned and could have signed it. And I actually said to them, I can't do this because to make the Substack successful, I need to put all my energy into that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to fail at both if I agree to this. Do you want to say what the topic was about or no? Uh, I was going to be about the NBA. It was going to be about uh, their shift and their their kind of war for more popularity and trying to reclaim the ground that they had lost. But it, I looked at it. I, I realized that, oh, my God, I'm running my own business now. And you know a little something about that. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be impossible. It's going to be impossible. I'm going to be stretched too thin. And economically, I also I just had to say it, you know, <laughs> not bragging, but, you know, I'm, I'm making... <laughs> making more than the advance would be from the sub stack. So ultimately got to roll with the sub stack. Yeah. All right. Congrats, man. Thanks for taking the time, Ethan. Thanks for having me. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. 
or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.